Welcome back to the Wayne In Podcast presented by Track Wrestling. I'm your host, Alex Steen. On the line, as always, David Mirakatani. David, we're up to episode number 120, and you've been here for all of them. Um, you going to make 200? <laughs> You're the only guy that can turn a compliment into an insult in like four seconds. <laughs> I never know how Alex is going to read me in. And that one got me completely by surprise. I think I'm going to make it to 200. I really do. I feel confident. I mean, I think so. Uh, we had a little technical difficulties to get this started today, and we're, we, we keep working to, to better the audio quality and to do better things on the podcast. Uh, but, you know, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. So uh, <laughs> it's like wrestling. You just pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and go again, right? Yeah, I do have to tell you, we got um, a lot of compliments this weekend. I was at the Missouri State Tournament, and I was at the Missouri-Oklahoma State Duel. A lot of people said a lot of nice things about the podcast and uh, and the coach is one that I do as well. And, but really, really a lot of nice, kind remarks, a lot of very supportive people and uh, a lot of people that think you're a smart dude. So besides that, these people are right on the ball, you know. Well, I'm I'm very smart when I get to sit in front of my computer where I have a database to look things up. I, I look really good doing that. So. I uh, appreciate right. all those people out there listening. And, uh, you know, it's fun to do this every week. I'm glad people are listening. I'm glad people are enjoying it. That's what we do it for. Absolutely. Uh, a lot of good things happening out there. Uh, we're going to go through the results from last week. Uh, the Missouri-Oklahoma State duel that we previewed was fantastic. Um, I watched it from first whistle to last to the last takedown. Um, I know you were there. You got some good TV time. Saw you in the background several times. <laughs> Uh, they set an attendance record. That's pretty cool. And then we're going to you know, go through the rest of the results around the country, and we'll talk about Iowa-Oklahoma State, uh, which is the big one coming up this weekend. Uh, how was the environment in Missouri? It was great. I think every school should do what they did, which is have a big dual meet the weekend of your state tournament if it happens to be on your campus. The only suggestion I would make is that they started a half an hour earlier and don't have the intermission because I had to peel out uh, before Jacoby Smith's match to make the state finals. But 4,700 people in Hearns place was packed. It was loud. Uh, You know, we'll talk about the matches, but, you know, for people that don't know the layout at Mizzou, Hearns used to be where the state tournament was held. That's where I wrestled. And then they built the Mizzou Arena. And they're basically, I don't know, you know, maybe, maybe a half a mile apart, just across a parking lot. People just walked over from the tournament, came to Hearns, and then, you know, walked back. So, like, a guy like Brian Elam saw his son wrestle in the last match of the duel and then walked over and coached his other son winning a state title. So, shout out to Zach Elam, Rock Elam, and Brian and the whole Staley family, those guys had a really good tournament, scored 140-something points and took fourth, which ought to tell you how good, you know, the top four teams were in Missouri this year. Yeah, I thought it was a really cool idea. Um, definitely got a sense of the atmosphere on television. Sometimes that doesn't come through, but it was it was clear that it was a rowdy crowd. Um, I was a little surprised that Missouri's previous uh, attendance record was 2,700-something. Um, that program... I mean, yeah, it came from nothing, but Brian Smith has done such a nice job. Uh, it's kind of a shame they don't get more fans. I understand it's a population density issue mostly, but uh, 
<laughs> I was surprised when I saw how low that number was. Glad that they got 4,700. They deserve it. They've done a great job. And it was a heck of a match. Well, it was. And I actually called Lee Pritz and I told him, because Arizona State has to go there next year. And I said, you guys, that's the weekend you need to go. I said, that would be awesome. You know, because ASU's redshirted a lot of guys this year. And I think, you know, they, they should have a very competitive team. And it might be the best duel that that uh, Mizzou has on their schedule next year, their, their best home duel. So uh, I hope they can make that happen. I mean, that's a really, that's a really cool idea, you know? Yeah, I think we'll get into the results. Um, you were much closer than I was, mainly because you called Brock Mahler over Caden Gefeller, which absolutely happened. <laughs> Mahler looked fantastic. We'll get to that at 149. Uh, pretty much everything else went largely as expected. Um, Ironman getting the fall over Brock was... I, I can't even call it surprising because Ironman pins people seemingly at random. I mean, I was talking to some of the guys on the Oklahoma State message board, and uh, you know they were kind of down on Cade. And it was like, you know, he pinned Dean Heil, he's pinned Becca Lamtazi, who's a world silver medalist. Like, he does this. This is what Jaden Ironman does. So um, it surprising yeah. only that you don't usually predict a pin with two ranked wrestlers going at it, but. Uh, pretty much everything else went according to expectations, although there were some matches that were a little closer than I expected. Um, Elam and White, for example, that was a... Yeah, for uh, sure. Yeah, didn't didn't see that one going to overtime, but Elam did a nice job of negating White's advantages. Um, did end up giving up the takedown in overtime, but it was a good effort from both men. Uh, you know, in the end, Oklahoma State gets the win and ends Missouri's 35-match dual winning streak, but uh, a lot to be proud of for the Tigers, and a lot of positives on both sides, I thought. Most definitely. Uh, I stopped by Mizzou's practice on Friday, visited with the staff and the guys. I'm friends with a lot of those guys, and uh, I got to ride around in a golf cart in 15-degree weather with Alex Clemson, which was really fun, uh, riding through the snow. and. Uh, you know, Jaden Ironman actually came up to me after the match and said, I'm two for two, first time at Border Brawl and now here. So, I mean, he's he's got that elephant's memory. And, you know, I picked him in a major, and I picked him, really, I thought he would put Kate on his back once. I just didn't think he would cinch it up like that. But, you know, pretty much if you're picking a major, you're assuming there's going to be some back points in there. The Mahler-Gfeller match... And that was, you know, we, I talked to you about this off the air. We picked eight matches the same, and we were exactly right on those eight matches. The Mahler-Gfeller match, I, I just, you know, I'm a bias towards Mahler just because I've seen him wrestle a lot. I know how good he is. And uh, I've had more than one person say he feels like a smaller Ben Askren. And I, you know, I asked those guys, what does that mean? They said he puts you in weird positions, and he feels weird, but his hips are like ridiculously heavy for what he looks like. And, you know, he had G feller really frustrated. I mean, the last minute G was down six and didn't even try to score. You know, I thought it was kind of weird. Mahler didn't try to score to get the major. Obviously it wouldn't have mattered, but, you know, it certainly could have mattered, you know, you know, depending on how a couple other matches go, but, you know, that bumped Mahler up way up in the rankings and it changed, you know, maybe we hardly ever do this, but maybe we'll talk about, team rankings this week because it made a big difference in the team rankings for Mizzou as well. Yeah, I mean, it's a massive win for seeding purposes for Mahler um, and a really damaging loss for Gefeller um, just because, you know, I think in that 
weight, there's really the top three, and then Austin O'Connor's kind of making his case as the number four, and then it's everybody else is kind of you know scrapping for that five seed to stay out of the you know Micah Jordan, Matt Kalodzic side of the bracket. That and of course this is all subject to change depending on other things, but uh, you know especially earlier in the year, Gefeller had looked pretty good against Ashnault and really had nothing for Kalodzic. It's just a bad style matchup for him. So um, staying in that four to five range where he was would be a really big deal. But now that he's lost to Mahler, it's going to be a lot harder to stay in that. And he could slip who knows how far. Um, The bigger concern, I think, for him, he looked like he didn't want to extend, especially on a couple of those shots. He got in and then, yeah, part of it was Mahler you know, heavy hips and feeling different, but part of it, it just looked like he didn't want to get too strung out, didn't want to reach too much with that rib injury. And that makes me really concerned about his health going forward. I mean, he's a guy that never shuts down. And you mentioned in the third period, he just stopped going for it um, when he realized the match was out of reach. That's really not his style. Um, Even though he was fairly active, he's normally more active than that. So uh, a little concerned about him. Doesn't negate what Mahler did at all. He did an excellent job, and that match may go the exact same way the next time around. I don't know, um, but it's concerning with Gefeller with the the postseason right around the corner. Um, if he's not a hundred percent, that's that's a problem for sure. Uh, and I think you alluded to this, but Mahler's definitely the five guy now. I actually have him ranked fourth. I looked at their bodies of work. And actually put him ahead of O'Connor, although, you know, theoretically, they're both four or five. They would wrestle 13 or 12, but it doesn't matter that much. And the other thing, when we go to what's coming up this weekend, Mahler will have Iowa State. So he'll have Deegan or Dagan again, depending on how you say it. And he beat him and then lost to him in kind of a goofy match. If he beats him, he's going to be seated really high. Like, I think fourth will be the worst he'll be, assuming he can win the big, you know, win the max, rather. So. Um, you know, but speaking of like a G fellow, I mean, that's the kind of guy you might want to pick in your fantasy contest, right? Like a guy who's got really good losses and, um, you know, might fall down a little bit. So, you know, people that want to do that should go to fantasygrade.com and the fantasy wrestling national championships. You can go there and prove, you know, more about wrestling than anywhere from around the country. They've got an online contest set up as a salary cap event. And the live contest is being held at the yard restaurant in Pittsburgh the Wednesday night right before the national tournament. They've already got 23 of the 33 slots signed up, so there's only 10 spots left. That one's a $99 entry fee for $300 of guaranteed prizes. And there's also prizes for finishing first, second, and third. So all the rules and instructions are posted at fantasygrade.com. They've got written rules and videos. So sign up today and prove you're the smartest wrestling fan in the country. I actually talked to Jason Bryant, and the media social is going to be at the same bar and restaurant, the yard. So uh, if you do sign up, you'll probably get to catch a glimpse of the 2018 Journalist of the Year, Alex Steen, which is, is always a, a real pleasure. <laughs> I'm just impressed. You set up your own read on that one. There was no transition needed. You just went right into it. I mean, you don't even need me. I'm just going to hang out over here and let you do Just high crotch the double, baby. Just yeah, change right over Chain wrestling right there. That's (laughs) impressive. I like it. All right. Yeah, I mean, uh, we'll get into the results a little bit. Yeah, that's the next thing up. There's there's a lot going on around the country with state tournaments and all that stuff. There's a 
UWW ranking series event coming up, um, but we don't know who's going to wrestle at that yet. So uh, let's get right into it and uh, talk about those excellent Resolite mats. Right. Resolite brings you our rankings, and they're your one source for both classic and lightweight mats. Their zip mat is the first and only tape-free mat to offer a waterproof interlocking connection system. And their digiprint mat is the only fully customizable mat featuring unlimited graphics that brings unrivaled school branding to your new lightweight mat. Visit Resolite.com for all your wrestling mat needs. Resolite, the mat company. And starting out at 125 pounds, there wasn't a lot going on around the country. Uh, Mitchell Brown of Utah Valley knocked off Rico Montoya of Northern Colorado 10 to 8. Um, it was good to see Utah Valley get most of their starters back after all the stuff they've been through lately, although we still haven't seen Fidley at 141 in some time. Uh, but good good win for Utah Valley. Anything else going on at 125? Not really. Uh, I mean, we we should probably say that the first RPI ranking came out and the second coaches rankings came out. And so there was some minor shuffling at the bottom. Cole Werner came in, but really not a lot. I think there'll be some matches this weekend that could potentially have a big impact on that weight class. Definitely. We'll get to that. Um, 133 pounds had the match of the weekend, at least as far as uh, billing goes. Stevan Micic of Michigan knocked off Nick Soriano of Rutgers 3-2 to two to continue his reign as the number one wrestler in the weight. Uh, it's a kind of interesting match. Soriano was the aggressor for most of it. Uh, Micic really only took one committed shot, but he made it count and got the takedown and won the match. Um, he wasn't very happy about his effort afterwards. It didn't seem like he wrestled his match, but he got the W, and sometimes you got to win ugly, right? Yeah, uh, I actually just interviewed Kellen Russell, and, you know, we talked a lot about Misich and what kind of guy he is. And uh, I think what's crazy is when's the last time Nick Suriano lost three matches? Like, if you say, okay, take this year out, what was the time period that that guy lost three matches? It has to be like four or five years, right? I mean, well, he yeah, lost to... Longer than that, because he was undefeated in high school, so... Right, but he probably lost like a Super 32 match or something in there. Probably, but I mean, like, yeah. lost to Spencer Lee. He lost to Gilman. But I think, you know, you're going back to three, four years. He He's lost all these matches by one point. Uh, well, was this was the DeSanto match one point or two? I can't remember. Was he tied when he got taken down or was he winning? I think he was tied. I think it was headed to overtime when he got taken down. So Okay. So he's lost all these matches basically by by one move or one or two points. So, I mean, clearly he was in all these matches. And, but you just wonder, he's a super tough kid, obviously really good, you know, but when you've won so much, how much does that change your mentality when you lose that often? I mean, I'm I'm very, very interested to see that. Right. Yeah, it's a fair question. Um, I mean, obviously, the aura of Nick Soriano, what he puts off, um, it's a kind of a hyper-confident type of guy, um, you know, a lot of bravado there. So, But you really never never know how that's going behind the scenes. I was just – I was happy to see him uh, attacking more. Um, obviously, you know, the Soriano fix match was very um, boring, and neither guy would commit to anything. <laughs> and, very uh, boring? You know, when he and then he wrestled DeSanto, and that that match wasn't boring, but it seemed like Suriano was at times a little cautious. 
Um, so I was glad to see him pulling the trigger. Obviously it didn't turn into anything this time. Um, but I hope to see that more. I mean, he's the kind of guy, he has offense. So, uh, I'd like to see that continue and that trend. I think he'll be better off. Um, his defense is solid. Uh, but you know, Michich, when he gets that little single leg and gets that elbow buried deep, he's really hard to fend off. So, uh, and that's what happened in that match. So. We'll see where it goes, but I, I was at least happy to see him taking a few more attempts. Yeah, I think, you know, the only way, I mean, he he could, you know, win nationals on three, you know, winning on riding time matches, but, you know, that's a live by the sword, die by the sword kind of thing. You know, you just wonder if, you know, he, he opened up and started pulling the trigger more and it didn't result in a win. How does he react to that mentally? Does he go, okay, no big deal, or does that, you know, shut him down even more because uh, I just, I mean, I know myself, you know, I got to college and I lost a couple of times and it, it took a while to recover from that because you're just not used to, you know, I had won a hundred matches in a row. It just, it throws you off. It's, it's a real thing. So, you know, I didn't have that problem. So uh, I was, I was always used to losing, unfortunately. So uh, I, I had that. That's like the only advantage I ever had over you in wrestling, I guess. So, <laughs> Moving up to 141 pounds, uh, there was a lot to go over at 141. Uh, yes. I wanted to mention Grant Willits of Oregon State over Ian Parker of Iowa State nine to four. That actually happened uh, last Monday. We didn't, I didn't catch it before uh, last week's podcast. So I wanted to, I wanted to mention that big win for Willits. Uh, Nick Gill beat Sedarian Perry on the same day. Navy over Old Dominion three to two. So those are old results, but uh, needed to say give props to those guys. They're nice wins. This week, Kyle Luigs of Indiana beat Max Murren by fall in 613. I went back and watched that match because anytime you have a pin, you kind of wonder how the match went. It was just a scramble fest from start to finish. Uh, Luigs was actually leading eight to six um, and actually really should have been ahead by a little bit more um, when he pinned him. They had a situation where he did the, the Jason Dolph thing where he traps the arm off the shot and puts the guy on his back in danger. They didn't call it correctly. They, it probably should have been a takedown, a danger takedown and back points, and they didn't call the takedown. So when they went back to review, obviously you challenged the takedown and you can't go on and award the back points. So he got a little bit of the raw end on that one, but didn't end up mattering. He uh, ended up putting him on his back again and pinning him. So good win for him. And really, Indiana is just – they're doing a nice job. You know, it seems like every week we're talking about a guy that we haven't really talked much about, um, and a lot of them are from Indiana. So good job by Angel Escobedo and all those guys. And then the last one, Cam Kelly of Ohio over Brian Lantry of Buffalo, 7-2. to two. Uh, What was your reaction at 141, David? Well, I, I actually talked to Mike Dixon a week ago about some guys he's recruiting, and I told him that, the, you know, their guys are scrapping. And he said that, you know, obviously most coaches do this, but that's – really what they're trying to figure out right now is which guys in that program want to fight and, you know, investing as much time as they can in those guys. So, I mean, the rankings got turned around a little bit this week. Brian Lantry dropped from eight to 11, which is a pretty big point drop for Buffalo that bumped Moran up from nine to eight, which helped Wisconsin. Uh, Sedarian Perry dropped from nine to 15. Cam Kelly came into the rankings at 18 and Murin probably had the biggest drop of anybody from 12 to 23 because, you know, we looked at it, he just really didn't have any big wins. He's got, you know, no top 20 wins. So 
it kind of been hanging up there because he just hadn't had any bad losses, but you know, clearly that was a, you know, a bad loss for him. So it's a pretty significant drop. And, you know, we do need to probably at the end of this talk about what changed in the team scores because it was actually pretty significant this week. Uh, yeah. I mean, Luigi's is 12 and 13 entering that match. So uh, that's a rough loss from a ranking and seeding standpoint. Moving up to 149, Michael Sprague, um, who I remember from last year, always pulling upsets and then getting beat by guys that maybe he shouldn't. Um, of American, he beat Jared Prince 7-6 to six in tiebreaker one, then turned around and lost to Te- Tehan Anthony of George Mason 7-1. to one. Um, You know, Anthony is no slouch himself, but uh, from a ranking standpoint, that's a tough loss. Malik Amin of Michigan beat Alfred Bannister of Maryland 8-7. to seven. Um, At some point, we should talk about Maryland. They seem to be going in the wrong direction. Uh, that's just a rough go all the way around out there. Austin O'Connor of North Carolina beat Justin Oliver of North Carolina State 9-4. to four. Uh, we talked about Brock Mahler over Caden Gefeller 10-4, to four, and uh, Davian Jeffries of Oklahoma got a nice win over Christian Olivas of Fresno State 5-3. to three. Uh, What's your takeaway at 149? The only other result was Maruka beat Rolfing, which we had the week before Maruka at 24 and Rolfing at 17, so that was, you know, at least on paper an upset. Yeah, when we talked about Mahler and G, O'Connor and and – Oliver was kind of a hold serve sort of thing. The the Sprague Prince match, you know, will has affected it, it sort of gave Prince a pass based on body of work, but you know, like, okay, you're you know, you're really kind of on a short leash now. And then uh yeah, you know, Bannister's a guy that's historically started out really well early in the year, looks good in these open tournaments, and then he it, he does have a tendency to not be wrestling you know, his best rest, you know, wrestling his best at the end of the year. So that's, you know, sure. That's discouraging for those guys. And, you know, Davion Jeffries continues to just be an enigma wrapped up inside of a riddle and a conundrum, right? Like, you know, high, high ceiling, low basement. And, you know, a guy that I think would be, it probably would be frustrating because he's just, you know, he's got some really good wins and he's got some really puzzling losses. Yeah, every time I think, you know, he's just going to pack it in and kind of wrestle out the string and just be done with wrestling. He does something like that, gets a big win and looks better. And, yeah, I I can imagine it's hard to coach him uh, from a frustration standpoint. You know, he's been like this his entire career. Uh, You know, he was arguably better his freshman year. But you just never know with those guys. All it takes is a little bit of a spark. He's obviously got a lot of ability. you just never know when they're going to go on a run. So we'll see. Um, he'll probably drop. He'll probably lose to somebody crazy this week just to balance it out. But uh, <laughs> he's always one yeah, you got to right. watch. So moving All up right. to 157 pounds, Keyshawn Hayes of Ohio State knocked off Griffin Perriott of Purdue five to one to get a nice Big Ten win. And then uh, the more surprising result: Jake Tucker of Michigan State beat Perriott five to three. So a, a rough weekend for the Boilermaker. Um, Adam Santoro of Cornell also upset Josh McClure of North Carolina three to two. I I think I remarked last week that McClure was in these comments every week. Normally it's been for good things. This week it's for the bad thing. That's what happens when you get ranked, I guess. Uh, what'd you make of it, David? Well, we struggle with Perriot whether to move him or not, but he had beaten Van Brill and Romani and some other guys. And he's ranked right ahead of those guys. So it was just, uh, Again, it was another example of, you know, rankings are tough. You've done them for a long time. It's, 
you know, you don't want to overreact and you don't want to underreact. And so like when you don't move somebody, you kind of feel like, okay, well, maybe I'm underreacting. The same time, you know, like the Max Murin move, you know, you move somebody 11 spots, it doesn't feel right. I mean, you know, especially this late in the year, beginning of the year, like, okay, you know, some, you know, cause it's, you don't really have a body of work built up, but so you're trying not to over or underreact, but it's certainly, you know, Perry had some really good wins. I mean, I think he beat one of the things that kept on there was he beat Berger, I think in the semis of Vegas. I know that was a long time ago, but you know, I've said this multiple times. A lot of my rankings are based on how you do in big tournaments because you can't be an all American without doing well in a big tournament. So that will tend to give guys in my book, the benefit of the doubt, but he definitely shortened his own, you know, his margin of error as well. Yeah. It's, it's always hard when you've got, you know, all this, by this point in the season, we've got, you know, three and a half months worth of data. Um, and then somebody does something completely contradictory to the previous data. <laughs> That's always yeah. a tough call to make. Um, so I don't envy you that one. I don't, I don't miss that part. Uh, I'll put it that yeah. way. Moving up to 165. Oh, go ahead. No, I just said they're fun to do, but you're right. Like the worst guys are the guys that beat the guys above them and lose to the guys below. And they're just, you know, so I probably should think, Zane Rutherford, Jason Nolf, and Bo Nickel for their service because they've made <laughs> ranking the top of those weight classes really easy for the last couple of years, for sure. Yeah, no doubt. Dominant guys that never lose, they're easy to rank. That's that's the best part. <laughs> that's right. We'll move up to 165 pounds. Cale McCormick of Army knocked off Gordon Wolf of Lehigh, 7-4, to four, and Alex Marinelli got past Evan Wick of Wisconsin, 6-4 to four, in sudden victory one. That was a a good battle. Uh, watched it. Went back and watched it today to make sure I had it fresh in my mind. Uh, Marinelli had both the takedowns, the only one in regulation, and then of course the one in sudden victory. Uh, Witt got a reversal and an escape, as well as a full period ride out in the second to force overtime. But Marinelli got a crucial reverse in the third. Um, yes, in the third period with a minute to go, and was able to ride Wick. The rest of the, the period to force overtime, all we needed was an escape. Um, still didn't negate the riding time, but quite a uh, quite a match for those who like mat wrestling in particular. Uh, what'd you make of it, David? What do you think about the strategy of those matches? Right, because like Wick is winning the match one to nothing when it starts, basically. Right, he's, he's either winning it because he picks top and gets riding time for that period or winning it because he can pick down on his period and get away. So, you know, to me, there's two ways to look at it if you're coaching Wick. One is be really aggressive on your feet because you can afford to lose one. Or two, really, really hand fight, control lead hand, don't give up double legs, make him shoot head outside singles where you can turn the corner on him and try to win it that way. But, I mean, it seems like Wick inherently has the, the lead when the match starts. Yeah, and and they, if I know that, I'm pretty sure those two guys know that. So it it's interesting to see, you know, it shows Marinelli's got a lot of guts because he knows he has to come back. And that, I mean, that's difficult too, right? Yeah, it was interesting because, you know, yeah, I think everybody, when they, they walk on the mat, you're thinking, you know, Marinelli's going to struggle to get away and what's the decision going to be? And then uh, like 35 seconds into the match, Marinelli blasts through a double and suddenly it's like, well, 
maybe he's got it. Like that was that evens the score. And then Wicks right. got it, you know, right there to win in the third period till he gives up that reverse. So it's kind of a twisty turning match. Um, you know, I hate to say it, but a duel like that on February 19th, I mean, you don't coach this way, so you never tell someone this, but I'm almost feel like you don't show anything that you don't have to. Uh, you're going to see these guy, this guy probably again at the big 10 tournament. You might see him again at the NCAA tournament. This match just doesn't mean that much. And like, it was really fun. So I'm glad they went out there and wrestled. But I I don't know. It's almost you don't want to give too much away because you're going to have to run this back sooner than later. Um, I don't know. What do you think about that? Do you, do you ever advise a guy maybe or even if you're the competitor, do you ever think about that? Like maybe I don't want to show him something. I think you do a lot more as a coach than as an athlete. Cause I think as an athlete, if, you know, I think as an athlete, you just never want to lose. Right. So like, as you know, I'm like, well, if my best shot's a high crotch, I'm not going to take my high crotch away from me. Just, you know, so Alex doesn't see it because one, everybody has everybody scouted now. So it's not just cause I don't show it to him. Doesn't mean he doesn't know it, but I definitely think coaches will do things that, if a guy does something and they're so good at it that you go, look, and you, you don't, you, you, if you don't feel it the first time, you know, you, when the first time you feel somebody, you're going to lose to them because they're just so good in this position. I definitely have talked to guys and go, look, you know, you don't think you need to use this. Go ahead and leave that in your hip pocket. You know, the big tens are interesting because there are people arguing Vincenzo shouldn't be the number one seed you know, because he's missed some matches. I mean, that I personally think that's silliness because guys miss matches all the time. And who are we to say, well, he was ducking somebody else when you're two-time defending champ and you took out a guy that would have been a four-timer. But if, if Vincenzo's the one and Marinelli and Wicker, the two, three, and Isaiah White's the four, and it looks like Logan Mass is the five, it, you know, I mean, it just changes who wrestles Tayshawn Campbell. So like you're saying, that's probably not relevant, you know, but I think too, you get caught up in a match and you, you, your competitive juices get flowing and you're not going to go, well, you know, I, I'm going to go ahead and not hit my best shot. And if I lose, I lose. Like, I, I just think winners don't think like that. Even, even to their own detriment, I don't think they think that way. You know, we try to win everything we can. And even if that turns out to not always be the best strategy. You know, I had put a note on here. What is the status of Joe Smith? How can he, I mean, I think it's pretty clear he's going down. It's it's clear that, I mean, they, they're going to give him a wrestle off against Chandler. And it feels like he's going to be the 65 pounder. You know the rubric better than I do. Where will he not have enough matches? How will that affect him in terms of seating since there's it's not like a blind draw now where okay well he's he's not in the top 16 they're literally going to seat all the way down to 33 so how is that going to work yeah so i saw your note on here um this afternoon and i checked in with i'll i'll leave him as an unnamed source because i don't know if he wants his name out there but somebody that knows the allocation and ranking pro and seating process very well um just to see because to my eye, because of what Joe weighed in at against Missouri, he's not going to make 65 for Iowa. 
So that leaves just the Big 12 tournament. And if he went, if he gets to the finals, which is probably the only way we're even talking about a decent seed, he'll still only have four matches at the conclusion of that tournament. And the rules say that you have to have five for a coach's ranking. Um, so let's let's go through this, and I'm I'm going to name off the stuff, and you help me. Here's the okay. here's the criteria for people that that don't know, and I'm correct me if I'm wrong. Head to heads, twenty five percent. Quality wins, twenty percent. Coaches rank fifteen. Opponents, common opponents, ten. RPI ten. Qualifier placement ten. Winning percentage ten. So I'm going to ask some questions and maybe help me. On winning percentage, does he have to have a certain amount of matches to have a winning percentage, or can he get that based on 4-0? No, he needs eight matches to have a winning percentage, so he will not have one. So he's not going to have a winning percentage, and he will have a qualifier placement because let's assume he wins the Big Big 12, just to keep it simple. Right. If he qualifies, he will have a qualifier placement. He won't have an RPI because he won't have enough matches, correct? Correct. And he won't have a coach's rank because he doesn't have enough matches, correct? Yes. And now my question to my source was, you know, okay, it says you have to have five for the allocation process. Do they take the qualifiers and give everybody a ranking because now we have all these national qualifiers? He said, unless the committee tells him different, that five applies across the board. So he will not have a coach's ranking as far as we can tell. Now. I had been operating under the assumption because you have to start somewhere when you do these comparisons. You know, all this this rubric is a head-to-head comparison. It's not a, you know, it's not a point system. You can't do head-to-head competition and have a point system. Like it doesn't work like that, right? So I had been operating under the assumption that they start out with the coaches ranking and then compare from there and iterate through the process. So if he didn't have a coaches ranking, I'm assuming he's gonna start at the bottom, which He's not going to have a lot of common opponent um, stuff to go on. Um, there His are common opponents would guys. be good. He'd be good because he'd be undefeated, right? In this scenario, right? But the problem is he's not going to have a common opponent with a lot of guys. You know, so if if you're I, comparing me to you and we haven't wrestled any of the common opponents, nobody gets the points. So yeah, if he does have a common opponent, he'll probably win that. But he just won't get it in a lot of cases. Um, and, of course, a lot depends on whether he wins the Big 12 title versus getting second or third or however it ends up. There are four sure. guys. This is, my, this is my question. Right now, he, he's got a zero in the winning percentage, which is 10% of the criteria, a zero in the RPI, which is 10%, and a zero in the coaches rank, which is another 15%. And he's going to be really low on common opponents, and he's going to be really low on quality wins just based on number of matches. Right. Is it possible he's going to be seated 28th to 33rd? Yeah. In fact, I, I'm operating under the assumption that he will be. Um, That's what I'm thinking, too. Because, now, let's yeah. extrapolate that. Let's say you're Oklahoma State and you think your best lineup is Joe at 65, Jacoby 75, Gear 84, Weigel 97. Okay, it clearly looks like that's the way it's trending, right? But is Joe Smith having to wrestle one of the top four seeds right out of the chute and maybe a pig? He might have a pigtail match and then have to draw into 
either Vincenzo, Marinelli, Wick, or Shields, is that better than Chandler Rogers being like the number 10 guy and having the number 23 guy first round and then Makai Lewis or Logan Massa in, in a winnable match and then being in the quarterfinals? Yeah, I mean, I think it comes down to whether you think Joe Smith could upset one of those top four guys and what his chances are because, you know, we've seen it before in the old days when we didn't seat everybody, you know, a dangerous guy would get up against a, you know, a high seed, they beat him, and now they're the high seed effectively. Uh, you know, they sure. take over their spot in the bracket. So I think that's probably what they're thinking. Um, yeah, his seed is going to be terrible. And now that they seed all the way out, he has no chance of getting lucky on the draw. I don't know that he'll be 28 to 33, especially if he's the Big 12 champion. Uh, but I'd have to sit down and work the numbers because he just doesn't have a lot to go on. So um, he needs to draw. Like he's going to be in the bottom eight, though, right? Like he's going to be in that 25 yeah. to 33 range for sure, right? Yeah. I mean, there's five There's five guys in the Big 12 currently at, that, at 165 that I think are going to qualify as quality wins in the end. So what he really needs is he needs to draw one of those guys first round and wrestle three of them at least on his way through, get all those wins to really have any chance of avoiding that bottom, you know, third, fourth of the seeds. Um, and even then, you know, Romero, Steyer, those are the top three guys in the big, you know, yeah. And then you've got Andrew Fogarty and Nick Kiusis who, based on the initial RPI coaches ranking, have a chance um, to earn allocations and be a quality win if they qualify. So it's going to be interesting. But, yeah, that's it's a huge risk um, because you, you know what you have in Chandler Rogers. It's not like you're replacing a hole in your lineup. Uh, the guy's a two-time huge... All-American, right? He wrestles well right. at the National and he pins dudes he's better than. Yeah, it's yep. it's just it it's interesting. It's very very interesting. So, you know, I it, yeah, I just you know, I talked to somebody who said, "Look, if it was my son, I'd find a you know, I'd find he'd make the lineup. I don't know how, but he would make the lineup." So, I don't know how much that plays into it too. Well, and and you know, the other part is how do you have a legitimate wrestle off process when you have a guy cutting down at the last minute? Um, you know. I think most most programs have moved kind of past the head-to-head wrestle-off because it doesn't always tell you who's better. And now you've got a guy coming down. Is he going to make flat weight? You know, Chandler's coming off yeah. an injury. It's it's very it's a strange situation. It's going to be really hard. And I can guarantee you, no matter what happens, there will be people second guessing it because this is this is almost unprecedented. Um, I'm sure somewhere in history it's happened, but with the coach's son and all Americans all over the lineup, this is just, this is a bizarre situation. Yeah, it is. It's, and like you said, if they do scratch weight and they go, well, 165 isn't in a couple, it's not the first hour. So, you know, we're going to give them two and a half hours. Like, well, you should give them an hour, you know, well, we're not going to make them make scratch. Well, then it's not a real, you know, no matter what they do, you know, like I would probably time it out. What's the, you know, how long has his 165 historically wrestled, you know, right after, you know, the first round of the tournament, but then you could argue he's going to be the 33rd seed. So 
he should get two hours because he's going to be in the pigtail match. Yeah, so, and I mean, that, that pigtail moves around now, so any of those bottom five seeds can get it. So, But the 33rd got a real guy chance. is the pigtail. He's, if he was 33, he is the pigtail. It's just where he moves. Right. Right, so, right. I'm not. Yeah, and I don't know if he'll be 33 or not. But any of those bottom five guys could get could be his opponent. Could be the 33rd opponent. So the four right. bottom four, other than right, 29 eight. to 32. Correct. So, right. Okay. Anyway. So we'll we'll watch that and see who shows up at the Big 12 tournament. I'll be in Tulsa. It's in Tulsa. It's a home game for me, so I'll get I'll get to be there. I'll be interested to see who wrestles. Uh, 174 pounds. It looks like it will be Jacoby for. The Oklahoma State Cowboys, although there's the the strange possibility of Smith losing the wrestle off, bouncing back up, of Joe Smith losing the wrestle off, bouncing back up and beating Jacoby, which just would throw everything into flux. Uh, but I don't see anything else at 174. The only note I had at 174 is that, you know, we talked about Daniel Lewis and um, Amin and Zahid all trying to figure out where those guys would be seated. Uh, if Smith is not Oklahoma, if Joe Smith is not Oklahoma State's. 170 starting 174 then lewis's win over him in the duel will not count as a quality win so that's unfortunate for him because it really is a quality win and it was an impressive seven to nothing performance that he put on um on saturday i uh, just thought i'd throw that in there did once did the rankings even change at 174 neil richards from vmi came in he's a guy that had won a bunch of matches but had no quality wins but he beat andrew morgan but that was Really, pretty much it. Uh, Marcus Coleman took a loss, so he dropped out. He dropped the 21 to out, but that was really it. Not much. All right. Yeah, Neil Richards at VMI, he's one of those guys that sticks around and just does a nice job for a program that we don't hear a lot about. So good to see him in the rankings. Uh, moving up to 184 pounds, Max Dean of Cornell shut out Zach Zavatsky of Virginia Tech 9 to nothing in a very impressive performance and then turned around and beat Chip Ness of North Carolina 5 to 2. So, uh, you know, I think we've been kind of waiting on Dean. You know, he had struggled a little bit compared to his standards early on in the year, and then after this, you gotta gotta have him in the mix at 184. It's a little wild uh, up up in the top of those rankings. Yeah, I, I always look at other people's rankings just to see if maybe I missed something or I'm looking at it the long wrong way. And everybody else had Zavatsky at two or three last week, and I just I had him at seven. And then I had Max Dean at 12. And so Max, you know, I just couldn't have Zabatsky that high because he had lost to Drew Foster twice. So now Max Dean goes from 12 to 6. Foster goes from 6 to 7. And Zabatsky went to 8. That was really the primary. That was really the only change. Well, Cam Caffey took a loss to Max Lyon. So he dropped from 16 to 20. Moving up to 197 pounds, um, Alex Shank of Duke knocked off Kellen Stout of Pitt 4-2. Stout had just gotten into the rankings, so good win for Shank. Um, I remember him doing some good work at the beginning of the season. Um, good to see him still plugging away. Jake Woodley of Oklahoma knocked off Josh Hokett of Fresno State 3-1 out west. Um, you know, it's funny. A couple of weeks ago when Oklahoma nearly got shut out by Lehigh and probably would have had Lehigh wrestled their heavyweight, um, I saw a lot of, you know, maybe it's time for Roselli to go, like they're not getting any better. And then after they 
beat Fresno State this weekend after Fresno has had some nice dual wins this year. Uh, I saw a post today about, oh, Oklahoma is so much better. And it's just, it's, it's amazing how quickly fans swing from one to the other. Yeah. Yeah. The, the train has many passengers that frequently jump off and on, man, for sure. Did you, find, did you see anything else at 197? Uh, I don't think so. No, not really. There's not a lot. I mean, it's a weight that continues to be in complete flux. I think Warner Weigel will tell us a lot this weekend. Uh, you know, Willie Miklas is going to, you know, wrestle Mizzou this weekend. And they already told me they agreed to start that duel at 90, at uh, 84, or heavyweight, rather. So it'll end at 97. So I think, you know, that's interesting. But it's a weight all year that has been, you know, it's like Gladys Knight and the Pips and, and Bo Nickel is Gladys Knight, man. Like, you know, it's just, it's, it's his world and everybody else's. You like that one? So <laughs> that's nice. That's nice. <laughs> we could apply that to a few weights this year. Uh, yeah, really. for sure. For sure. But, uh, but it's Bo Nichols world, man, you know? Um, so it's, it's, it's scary how dominant that guy is for sure. And, you know, you know, I know it's not a popular opinion, but I'd be fine if nickel and Nolf just want to split the Hodge because it, it'd be, it's going to be a cry and shame that one of those guys hasn't won it. If they don't split it this year, because they're both so amazing. Uh, just dominant. They fulfill every criteria of that award. Uh, so we'll see what happens. Someone's going to uh, split hairs on that, right? Because like, you know, like you said, they both have been incredibly dominant. Uh, what will nickel nickel have gone? Will they both have gone two one one one, assuming they win it. Is that right? Um, yes, yes. Okay. So, I mean, two, you one, know, one, one, historically their careers are the same. Uh, they're you know they're both are averaging over five points, team points per match. They're both really fun to watch. I'm not sure that's a criteria. They both you know, uh, Nolf's really good at putting his anklets on the line afterwards, and Nichols really good at helping <laughs> up after he murders him. So it's kind of that's kind of a push. <laughs> you know, I mean, I yeah. you know, normally I'm not a big guy and like it should be tied, but it, it's. It's going to be the weirdest. Well, you know, I think if you ask people why did they pick one over the other, it's not going to be a reason that's super strong, you know. So I'm assuming you have a vote, right, as the journalist of the year. So, I mean, how would you split your vote? No, I, I, I do not have a vote. No one's ever asked me um, to vote, and you know, it's it's a it's a win magazine thing. Um, I don't know how they determine who votes, but uh, I do I'm not texting, have a vote, I'm so. texting Brian Van Clee right now, literally, as we're talking. <laughs> you a vote. I'm not even so, joking. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's one of those things I just kind of watch from afar um, and take my pot shots when, they, when I think they get it wrong, which I don't really think they have um, in recent years. There have been some close ones, but... Uh, you know, in general, it's pretty clear cut what the criteria are. But like you said, this year, I don't know how you pick one over the other. I mean, I guess maybe you could look at their statistics and go with whoever pins the most people. I don't know. Um, <laughs> either one, I don't think you can go wrong. So, yeah. moving up to 285 pounds, uh, Mason Paris of Michigan beat Yusef Hamida of Maryland six to two, which isn't even an upset by rankings anymore. Um, kind of 
another piece of the Maryland puzzle. I also saw that Ryan Deal, one of their better wrestlers, is wrestling up at 157, which is two weight classes above where he was. Obviously, they have Bannister at 49. So um, I guess they're trying to get as many talented kids in the lineup as possible, but um, he's obviously undersized for that weight. So uh, Jeremy Sweeney of Cornell had a nice win over Corey Daniel of North Carolina, 6-4. to four. Chase Singletary of Ohio State beat David Jensen of Nebraska, 7-5. to five. Singletary seems like one of those guys that you don't feel like he's going to All-American, but he's right there. Like, he's right close to that cusp, and he might be in that round of 16, round of 12 type. Um, and just you just never know once you get that far. Right. And then, of course, uh, Trent Hilger of Wisconsin rode out Sam Stoll in the second period, won one to nothing. Um, you know, it's uh, Stoll at this point in his career, if you get a leg in, he has no answer. Um, so he's going to hope to avoid all the heavyweights that ride legs. That's how he's lost both of his matches this season. Um, you know, he's just limited right now. So it is what it is. What did you make of 285, David? Well, I work with somebody, uh, you know, that helps me with the rankings. And I, I really respect this person. They had me convinced that Sam Stoll should have been five last week. And, I just, I didn't feel it, but I did it. And so, sure, you know, I was wrong. Well, the rankings were wrong. So, you know, Stoll goes from five to nine. David Jensen dropped from 11 to 13. Uh, I agree with your assessment of Stoll. I mean, I just, he's he's a guy that's just been beat up a lot. You know, Singletary dropped, went from 24 to 18 up. It, that's a, a really interesting weight. It feels, again, like it's Gable Stevenson and the head of, he's the head of the class. Derek White seemed like a really solid second. And, you know, Elam never really came close to scoring, but it was pretty shocking that he was in overtime with him. You know, and you're in overtime with somebody, anything goofy can happen. You know, you put your hands on the guy's face, the next thing you know, you lose the match. So that's, you know, it's, let's let's talk a little bit about the team scores because that kind of tied into it. So last week, you know, Penn State went, they stayed first. Ohio State stayed second. Oklahoma State didn't even change, but they jumped to third. Uh, Iowa dropped from 80 to 71 based on Stoll and uh, I'd have to look at who, well, Stoll. So, you know, and then Michigan is at 71 and a half. So we actually have Iowa at fifth this week. And then Missouri jumped from 38 to 48 and a half. And so they now they're ahead of that crowd of Missouri, Nebraska, North Carolina State, Northwestern, Minnesota, Cornell, Rutgers, and Arizona State that are all basically within like five through tw- or six through twelve is basically within like twelve or thirteen points of each other. That's just going to be like who overperforms and who pins a couple guys they're not supposed to. So yeah. I mean, it makes it, yeah, it feels like. Yeah, it feels like, obviously, we know Penn State, where they are, um, and it would take something catastrophic for them to lose the team title. But then that's, is that two, three, four, five are kind of interchangeable. I mean, I think there are favorites there, but it wouldn't really surprise anybody if one of those teams stepped up and got second. You know, Iowa, Oklahoma State, Ohio State, Michigan, all kind of in there. Um, I think Michigan has the most limited upside, but 
it's close enough that I think if they have a good tournament, they could get there. Um, and then, like you mentioned, there's that other group of teams after that. And, you know, one of those teams could jump up and beat one of the two through five guys if the, one of the you know, two through fives has a bad tournament. So, you know, it's not going to be necessarily stay in the groups. But that other group outside of the top five is really going to have to do something insane to get a team trophy. Right. Um, no, finishing another six isn't bad, but they're just, it's that next tier and they're just behind. They're far enough behind that it's going to be really hard for them to get on that top four. We've got Missouri at 48 and a half and Iowa at 71 and Michigan at 71 and a half. So, you know, mm-hmm. Missouri, Nebraska, NC State are 48 and a half, 46, 43 and a half. So let's just, even Northwestern Minnesota at 41, call those five teams a push, even. They're on average about 28 points behind Michigan and Iowa. A bunch of things are going to have to go wrong with Michigan and Iowa. I mean, basically for that to happen, Michigan and Iowa are going to have to fall back to like 55 or 60, and one of those teams are going to have to jump. And Michigan and Iowa would both have to fall back. So your point is really well taken. It feels like there's five teams fighting for for four trophies or really four teams fighting for three trophies because I don't see how Penn State doesn't, doesn't get the big trophy. So, and you know, I mean, Oklahoma State, they're really a Preston Weigel injury, especially if it happens during the postseason, away from fighting in that with Iowa and Michigan. Because, you know, if, if he goes down and you can't bump guys back up, they're, you know, they've already got, pro, you know, 57's probably not going to score a lot of points. Kate Brock's not wrestling that well. And now you just don't have that front line, those front line guys. Um, they're really hoping, you know, with all this weight shuffling, they could be down there too. Now they have upside, certainly do. Uh, could easily finish second if everything goes right. But they're they're not far away from that Iowa Michigan land where you're not necessarily going to get a team no, trophy. So they're the most vulnerable. It's really interesting. They're the most vulnerable right. because you know you you need pitch to finish top four. And the, the highest he's ever placed is fourth. You know, Fix is in that group of guys that are all one point apart, it feels like. Like you said, Cade's not wrestling well right now. You know, 49, G, you know. G might be hurt. We don't really know. And, <laughs> and he's a freshman. And he's wrestling up a weight. You know, Sheets is going to last chance tournaments, trying to get enough matches to get, you know, get all the criteria he needs 65 through 97 is a mess. Like it's a complete mess. Yep. And I have to think this is impacting the morale of the team too, because it, there are have to be Jacoby Smith guys, Joe Smith guys and Chandler Rogers guys that feel like, well, my, my guy might be the guy that gets hosed. And that's, I'm not saying anybody's going to get hosed, but I just, I'm telling you that's the perception of, you know, we tried to squash all this stuff early. Sometimes you can and sometimes you can't. And it's just, it's not good for team morale. And then, you know, Derek White's ranked second. But if Kassar, you know, Kassar only lost to him by a takedown. I mean, Mason Paris is really dangerous. You know, Desi's been there before and done it. When you have a guy ranked second who's never placed, you can't have a great, you know, a ton of confidence about that. So... That, you know, I think we'd I'd have to go back and look at our picks, but you know that that whole thing back at the beginning of the year, you know. But 
I think we had Oklahoma State that are over under somewhere around 100 points. It was 100. Yeah, I think, I think that was. Uh, I My number was 98. Your number was 100. And so you went over 100. So, you know, it's and I think that was probably a really good pick at the time. But that's the you know, that's the crazy thing about seasons, you know, the way they go. So, well, well, that's the thing. Like right now, sitting here today, I still don't know which way to go. That's still a decent over under because they could absolutely score 100 points. They could absolutely score 70. Like it's they could, it's, they could take. Two. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Like I, yeah. I don't know. So <laughs> we'll see. Uh, we'll, we'll get a good read on where they're at this weekend. Obviously got a good read on them um, wrestling Missouri last weekend. And now Iowa Hawkeyes come to town to Stillwater. I'll be there. I mean, there's something great about Oklahoma State and Iowa. It doesn't matter where they wrestle, but in Gallagher, Iowa or Carver Hawkeye, that's what wrestling's all about. I mean, you talk about the history. There's always crazy stuff happening. Um, you know, Iowa fans are already complaining about the small mat at Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State fans are already complaining about the Hawkeyes pushing and shoving and not trying to actually score. I mean, it's great. I love it. And I'll get to be in there. Um, Oklahoma State's trying to set their average attendance record, uh, which I think they need a little over 10,000 to get there for the season. That would be really cool. Um, I think the all-time record for Gallagher-Iba is 14,000 and something from the Penn State duel a few years ago when they put a bunch of seats on the floor. I don't know if they're going to do that again, but it's going to be fantastic. And we're going to go through it here um, in the last few minutes of this podcast and just kind of, kind of look and see what we think is going to happen. Um, I think you picked first last week. Is that right? Uh, I just know I was right last week. So I don't care who went first. Cause I, I, you were right. I had to avenge my right. mission. I mean, it's, it's your guys on your home turf. So <laughs> I mean, you better be back. <laughs> Real quick, before we get into this, Yanni McKenna is also this weekend. So, you know, that's another great match just for people to keep an eye on if they're, you know, looking for great matches to watch around the country. Gagan Muller, part three. Uh, Austin Gomez, Ernesty. Uh, you know, Luke Pletcher, Chaz Tucker. Just, you know, there's some good matches. Uh, Dagan's going to have Thompson, Max Thompson this weekend, too. So he's going to have a, a really really interesting weekend and then Nick Renan and Russell Zavatsky. So those are all, those are all matches on the board. So, um, okay. Who's going first? Me? I guess I'll go first. Uh, this is probably one of the hardest matches to pick right off the bat. I mean, last year, Spencer Lee came out against Nick Piccinini, turned him, uh, built a big lead and then kind of hung on for dear life late. I mean, he knew how much he was ahead by. So, Part of it was that, but, you know, we keep seeing the Spencer Lee issue. He's had the illness. We don't know where his gas tank's at. It's going to be interesting to see if he can build a lead against Piccinini this year. Obviously, Nick is undefeated, um, hasn't wrestled the toughest schedule in the world. And, of course, Spencer Lee pinned him at Nationals the last time they saw each other. So, I got to go with Spencer Lee by decision. I think he's going to get ahead again. I think he's going to get that first period takedown. And I think he's going to run out of gas and he'll be getting booed at the end as Piccinini tries to come back. But I think it'll be enough. So I got Spencer Lee by decision. I agree with, with your whole assessment. If Piccinini wins this, 
he he's probably assuming he can take care of business at Big 12s. He's probably at worst the number two seed at Nationals. So it's a huge match for him. So although what would be bad for him is his reward could be that Spencer Lee might be the three seed. So, but his path to the number one seed is he beats Lee and then Lee wins the Big Tens. I think that's his path to the number one seed, right? Because then Rivera would have a loss. Lee would have, you know, multiple losses. Bresser would have a loss. And the undefeated guys would be Piccinini, Jack Mueller, and uh, Vito. And I think Piccinini would be highest in the coaches' rankings and stuff like that and would end up seeded one. It's going to be really interesting, though, if Pitch has a loss. Let's say Lee beats Pitch and then Lee beats Rivera. So now Rivera would have a loss, Bresser would have a loss, Pitch would have a loss, but Mueller and Vito would be undefeated. How those top six guys are going to get get ranked or, I guess, seated is the right term. Really interesting there. Yeah. Uh, 33. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. Go ahead. 33, I just... I, you know, I, I would love to do a big build up. I just think Dayton Fix is a better wrestler, and I think he's at home. And I think, uh, I think the Santos style helps Fix. I think he comes into him. I think he's that makes him very prone to slide by snaps. I think if he hits, you know, some shots and he Dayton brings him up, he's going to get inside trip to his back, and then it's going to be a really long day. I, I'm going to set the over under for Kimura attempts by DeSanto at a half. So we can do that as a side bet. Which way do you want to go on there? Are you going to take the over or the under? I mean, I'm going under on that. With all the stuff that uh, DeSanto has done this year, he hasn't tried to injure anybody. It's been mostly extracurriculars and after-match nonsense, which it's better than trying to hurt people. So I'll give him that. Um, I'm with you, though. I'm with you, though. Did did you actually make your pick on fix? I'm assuming by decision. Okay, yeah, I agree with that, and I agree with exactly what you said. I think Fix has no gas tank issues, so I don't think that's going to be a problem, and I think he's going to take advantage of DeSanto coming in. So Fix by decision, both of us on that one. Moving up to 141 pounds, uh, talk about a couple of guys that need a win. Uh, Cade Brock, obviously coming off the fall against Jaden Ironman, getting pinned, and Max Murray losing a match to the Indiana guy getting decked. So... These guys both really need a win in, the, in a bad way as this as the postseason coming on. I actually didn't didn't hate Cade's performance against Missouri. Um, obviously, getting pinned is the last thing you want to do, but it's just the way Cade wrestles. He he's going to go out there and attack, and that's what Ironman wants. So it just played into his hands. But you know, he from the jump, he was going after it. Even on the the one he got pinned on, it was a bad shot, but it was a shot. He continued to attack. So you know. Uh, we'll see what happens. Brock has been looking better, but his results don't show it. So we'll see if that's just me wanting him to be there um, because I'm tired of people talking bad about him or if it's, you know, actually a thing. I think he beats Murrin. I think he's just better. And, you know, most of the guys he's lost to this year are good wrestlers. Murrin's a good wrestler, but I'm not sure he's quite there yet. I think he might need another year to really get there. So I got Brock by decision. You got Cade Brock. If you can beat Corey Clark, you can beat Max Murin next time. So, <laughs> by one second of riding time, never forget. You also beat Nation Garrett. So, I'm going to go with that. And that was by one second of fall. So, <laughs> all right. And we got a G and Lugo. So, this is an interesting match. Two guys not 
wrestling great right now. I think I think G wins. I think G does really well when he's taller. You know, he does really well with short guys. You know, his go behind offense is really good. So I got G by decision. I think uh, I'm very concerned about G's ability to extend, whether it's because he's hurt or because he's just afraid of what it's gonna ha- what's gonna happen, and he doesn't have the best track record against guys with solid defenses, which Lugo does. Uh, I think Lugo wins a decision and really really hurts Gefeller's seating resume here. So I got Lugo by decision. Okay, that's a big difference we got here. All right, fifty-seven. Moving up to 157, Wyatt Sheets and Caleb Young. This is going to be a really interesting match. Um, obviously, by ranking, Young is the uh, odds-on favorite, and I think he's going to win. Uh, but Sheets has a really good ride, and as we saw at Missouri, he, sometimes he hits moves that are just – I mean, they're highlight reel stuff. That duck under he hit was nasty. I mean, he was behind Jacques before he knew what happened. Yes. Uh, so – if Young really shuts down his offense, Sheets could pull something out. But I think Young's just gonna just gonna grind out a very close decision. Caleb Young by decision. Agreed. Sixty-five. Bull Rogers are always close matches. Bull always wins them. I gotta think that Chandler Rogers' head has to be another. You know. Am I not going to get to start my senior year? How's this all going to shake out? If I lose to Joe, can I go up and challenge at 74? And you got to be 100% focused to beat a Marinelli. So I've got Iowa bites. I mean, the Oklahoma State fan in me says, I hope Chandler's looking at this as if I beat Marinelli, no way they're keeping me out of the lineup. Whether that's true or not, I have no idea. Uh, but yeah, I think Marinelli's just too good. Um, rock solid. Good offense. Uh, he's not going to fall for any of Chandler's craziness. So Marinelli by decision. Moving up to 174. Joe Smith, who will have to weigh in, I think, below 170 probably. I, I don't know what the exact number is going to be, but it'll be close to that. Um, and he'll wrestle Mitch Bowman. I'm very concerned about this match from the Cowboys standpoint. Um, we saw Smith. We've seen Smith, you know, throughout the year struggle with gas tank issues at various times. Um you know, Daniel Lewis has a way of making you look tired even when you're not. So, you know, maybe that was the case, but really didn't look great against Lewis. Bowman is a solid wrestler, knows how to keep things close. I think this is going to be a, an interesting match in the third period, but I think Smith finds a way to win by decision. Yeah, I, I can see him hanging on and winning by one or two late, you know, getting the lead. I agree. I just did the 165 and 1.5% a week. That takes you out to 170.06, but this is a Sunday, and that tournament's a Saturday, Sunday, so you'd have to take out one day. So if you literally pull out, you know, like one pound, like it's probably three-tenths of a pound, so he's probably going to weigh like 169.8, something like that. Well, and remember, you've got he's got to be able to get below 165 because if his – Lowest weight is 165.0, and he weighs in at 164.9. He's not allowed to wrestle. So that's – they got to have some wiggle room there. Okay, so yeah. – Which I'm sure yeah. they know. He did that one year with the guy. All he did was make – he made it twice. He made it for regionals and nationals and won nationals. So your boy's a little familiar with that process. Hey. Fantastic. He needs tips. Hit uh, your boy up at Team Eric So, anyway, um, 184, 
we've got, I guess it's going to be Jacoby Smith, right, against Wilkie. It's not going to be gear, right? I would assume it'll still be Jacoby. I mean, uh, gear might be able to make it. Uh, it's it's close. His is one of the only ones that could. Um, but I, I, I'm going to assume it's Jacoby until I hear otherwise. And, and again, Jacoby's going to have to weigh in pretty light. But I got Jacoby by decision. Right. I, I mean, Wilkie looked good against Reinhardt, but, you know, I just think Jacoby's, you know, more talented. And, you know, like he gave up the first takedown at Mizzou and just he just keeps wrestling and he, he's he's physically – Super impressive, and he just he wrestles hard. He struggles with guys with a lot of length, and Wilkie doesn't present that problem to him. Yeah, it's interesting because this is just I mean, there's gonna there's a ton of interesting matches in this duel, and this is one of them because, like you said, like Wilkie, I don't think has the firepower to chase down Jacoby if Smith starts to score, um, but. We've also seen matches with Smith at 184 where he did a lot of stuff but couldn't get anything going. I mean, Ryan Price, that match was – he couldn't get Price to move. He couldn't do anything with him, and every time he attacked, Price was the one scoring. So it'll be interesting to see. I think, you know, watch the early part of this match, and if Smith gets an early takedown, and if he's got Cash Wilkie moving, he'll win the match. And I think he will, but I'm a little – I'm interested to see it, to see if Wilkie can – you know, do anything to stymie that, to play the defense, to keep this match tight. Because if he can, he's got a chance. Uh, but we'll see. I got Jacoby Smith by decision as well. Uh, but it'll be really interesting to watch play out. By the way, moving up to one real quick. Go ahead. Track wrestling gets one vote for the Hodge. So Brian Brink Binkley told me if I want to go two out of three takedowns with Andy Hamilton, that's the only way to get to vote. So I am I'm going to acquiesce and just make my vote verbal. After the season is over, but Andy has the official <laughs> track wrestling vote. So, anyway, one night. Well, he is he is the longest the longest uh, ter- tenured journalist uh, of any of us on the wrestling side of things. So, I mean, I have no doubt you could beat him in takedowns, though. So that's there's always that option. Moving up to one ninety seven, Preston Weigel against Jacob Warner. Uh, Another. This is a really big match for both guys. Uh, Weigel because he's got so few matches, and Warner because he looks like he's starting to turn the corner. He looked really good against Wisconsin, uh, just dominant in all positions. And if he wins this, he's setting himself up for a good seed. If Weigel wins this, he kind of cements his status as one of the guys behind Bo Nickel that could be second, third, fourth type guy. Um I just haven't really seen Weigel do that much yet. Um, he got a takedown against Missouri when he needed one after a hands-to-the-face call, but that was really the first time in two matches since he's been back that he really that he really went after a takedown. So um, very interested to see this match. Warner's got to stay off bottom because Weigel would ride him into the ground. Um, I got Weigel by decision. What do you think, David? So I think it's better for Weigel to lose the match. For nationals, because I think Nichols, Nickel, Colin Moore, Brucky are going to go one, two, three. Right now, I got. Well, I guess I yeah, I guess it, I got Warner four, Nicholas five, Weigel six. I think Weigel can make the finals from six. I don't think he can make the finals from four or five because I don't think he's going to beat Bo Nickel. Now he'll wrestle Nicholas, 
But if he beats Warner and Miklas, he's going to be the four. Even if he just beats Miklas, he's going to be the five probably. So you've got Weigel. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take. Reluctantly, I'm gonna take Warner. I just think, you know, neither one of them have wrestled a lot this year, but I think you know Warner's wrestling a little better right now. I certainly think that Weigel has a big mat advantage. So, I mean, this this is not a, a pick I feel real confident about, but it also, theoretically, our our team scores are going to be the same now because we flip-flopped at 49, so this would be interesting. So, right. heavyweight, Derek White stole. No drum roll. I got White by decision. Yeah, I think I do, too. It doesn't make me feel good. Because after watching that match last year, White could get to Stoll's legs no problem, but he couldn't do anything with him once he's there. Um, I think Stoll's just suffered enough that this year, I think White's going to get a takedown, um, which is hard to do. And that's saying a lot, but White's really improved in my eyes. And I, I am interested to see if Stoll can get out because White doesn't ride the legs. And that's the only thing that's given Stoll, you know, that's completely stymied Stoll. He's struggled at other times, but he's always gotten away and won the matches elsewhere. White's good on top, but he doesn't ride the right. legs. So it's it's really interesting to see um, if it comes down to that match, there will be a lot of drama. But, yeah, I think White by decision. Uh, it'll be interesting to see, though. I, I keep saying interesting. I, I can't wait for this match. It's so good. There's so many possible twists and turns. We're going to – we're going to get to see a lot of good wrestlers, and uh, this match could go a lot of different ways. We've got it. We both have it 18-12, Oklahoma State. So, but, I mean, what could change? You know, I mean, there's 41 could go Iowa's way. Theoretically, 33 could go Iowa's way. Uh, I mean, 74 could go Iowa's way. And, I mean, we both, we picked... We picked opposite at 49 and 97. Right. right. So if either. So they could both go Iowa's way. Right. And, you know, Stoll could be. Stoll's. Derek White's not a terrible matchup for Stoll, like some other guys. Like you said, the matchup ladder is, right. very, is very important. And the, here's the other thing one of those matches could go Iowa's way and it'd be 15 15. And Spencer Lee could score 12 points in the first period and they win 16 15. Like, I don't think if we came back, yep. or that would shock us. Like, let's say you were right at 49, and I was right at 97, and that made it 15-15, and Spencer Lee won 14-6, to you know, hanging on for dear life, and they won 16-15. I don't think it would, you know, I don't think we're like, oh, my God, that's crazy. You know, I think people are like, oh, yeah, slightly surprising, you know. Or DeSanto beats Fix and loses a team point, and – Oklahoma State wins 15 to 14. Some, so mean, DeSanto that's loses that's the team point. But they, okay. There's a rule. No, no, no. This is a real thing. We used to do this at Merrimack. If you get lose a team point in your last competition, in certain circumstances, you are disqualified from the next meet if it's an accumulation thing or if it's a flagrant. So, like, See, I couldn't find anything that backs that up. Well, it, it, uh, and I actually flagrant for sure. Yeah, looking, flagrant thing is a rule. Flagrant misconduct, absolutely. You absolutely do. Um, and if you get to, in certain places, if you get deemed two unsportsmanlikes after the match, that's the equivalent of a flagrant. 
But I couldn't find anything in the rule book that says if he gets dinged a single team point, even though it'd be like his fourth of the year, I couldn't find anything to back that up. I saw people making that claim, but I, I don't know that that's true. Okay, so that's obviously a nebulous thing, but it, first of all, I, I have to think this duel will start at 25. They always start at 25. You know, so, yeah, you know, I think that's that'll happen. You know Gallagher Iba is going to be on DeSanto. And I mean, there might even be a journalist of the year hooting and hollering a little bit that way. You know, guy is, you know, traditionally worn the, the orange and black. So, I mean, you just, that this match is fascinating because we came up with the same result and we only differ on two matches. But I think there's a couple of these matches where we definitely could see it going the other way. Like, I could see Lugo winning. I think you could see Warner winning, you know, the two we disagree on. And I think there's a couple of other ones where we're like, yeah, like that other guy could win and it wouldn't be shocking. Yeah. I mean, I think both teams could win seven matches. It's just, there's enough there that if it really gets going the wrong way, if one team didn't get their training right, or if somebody's, you know, if there's a flu bug going through somebody, this, this match could get out of hand either way. And I love those matches because any upset early, we still don't know who's going to win the duel because it could get flipped right back. So I love those kind of matches. I'll be there. Yes, I've already seen people. Now, Oklahoma State's message board is usually pretty docile, <laughs> but I've already seen people talking cr- noise about Austin DeSanto. So, yeah, you better believe that crowd's going to be on him early. Um, screen names I've never seen before <laughs> are posting, talking trash. I mean, this is just – this is unprecedented. I, everybody knows who's coming to town. So. It's always fun when Iowa's in town. It's going to be a heck of a meet, and we'll have all the reaction next week. Um, I mean, shoot, we should probably do one Sunday night after the duel as I'm driving home. Um, we might have to edit it for profanity, but uh, ah! we might want to do that at some point. We could do, we so, could do Sunday. Anyway, we have gone... We have, we have gone super long-winded on this. Okay. So, uh, I'm going to say this real quick, and I'll get out. We get out if Pitch wins 25, it's a wrap. Okie State wins. I'm just telling you. We shall see, my man. We <laughs> shall see. All right. We'll come back with that and so much more. Um, enjoy another great weekend of college wrestling. They're, they're ticking down fast. They're, they're, before long, we're going to be in the long freestyle offseason. Um, but until we do, enjoy it. For David Maricatani, this is Alex Steen. Please join us next week, and thank you for sticking with us all the way through. We'll sign off for that. See you next week.